Hey, good morning, New City. So good to be with you this morning. I'm just excited to be uh, together, even if it's still at a little bit of a distance. I'm excited to open God's Word with you this morning. If you're with us for the first time, just want to say an extra special welcome. Um, if you have your Bible with you this morning, let me invite you to go ahead and grab that, open it up. We're going to be in the book of First John and chapter 3 this morning as we continue in a series that we began a couple weeks ago that's just called Home Isn't Canceled. And the idea behind that that we've been talking about is pursuing a gospel nearness, even though we see that at the moment we live in a socially distant world. And there's aspects about that that are new and challenging, but in some ways we've been distant for a long time. And yet the gospel calls us to all these many facets of drawing near together. First uh, John is going to in particular call us to love, to love one another and to love like Jesus. Now, as already been mentioned, just want to say a humongous happy Mother's Day. We are so thankful for all of our moms and grandmothers and our wives who obviously love in just profoundly awesome ways. And I think the whole COVID-19 social distancing thing and, and being uh, at home has really shown us more, more so than maybe ever before how much we just, we need our moms. We cannot make it without our moms. Um, I have been so blessed and encouraged by my wife, Alana, and just the way that she has been a mom in our family. Um, if your household is anything like ours, I think you've experienced like us that because everybody is home a couple extra hours a day, there is literally 27 times as much dirty dishes and laundry as there would be normally. And it kind of feels like those 24-hour days have day by day become about 42 hours. But Alana just continues to love us well through all of that. And Alana, like many moms, has a job. One of her jobs is, is helping to lead and love in our children's ministry and just help continue to grow New City Church. And she's just done that faithfully and lovingly. And so I'm so appreciative to, to her for that. Um, but there's other ways that she serves and loves. You know, when our kids go to sleep at night, that's really the moment when she turns on the most to start making phone calls to other women uh, in and outside of our church just to check in on them and to encourage them. And so I'm just so thankful for those ways that she loves. And, you know, through it all, she shows just a shocking amount of joy um, because she genuinely loves being around us as her family, even though we're here all the time. And some of us, like me, never leave anymore. We're always there. Um, she loves me. She even forgives me when I make uh, a spill. Um, I spilled about a gallon of juice earlier this week. And even when those messes happen, she loves me and she loves us. And she's just been a, a constant reminder to me and I think to our whole church just to, to really treasure this time that we have as families together in our homes to, to seize the opportunity. This is a unique and a special time that we can genuinely love one another in our homes. And in particular this morning, the scripture is going to call us to love like Jesus. So let's go to 1 John uh, chapter 3 now. I'm going to begin reading in verse 11, and I'm going to read for us all the way to verse 24. Let's take a look at the word this morning. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 
By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. You know, today's passage this morning really elevates a number of questions that all believers wrestle with. And maybe even this morning, God's word calls us to wrestle again, afresh with some of these questions. And these are things like, you know, if I'm saved, if I am a disciple of Jesus, how should my daily life change? Um, Or am I truly saved? How do I know, in fact, that I really am a believer in Jesus? But then again, what about when I fail, when I make mistakes, does God still love me? And uh, what does it mean on a practical day-to-day basis? What does it mean to love like Jesus. You know, the book of 1 John, at the very end, in chapter 5, in verse 13, John, the author of this book, says his letter is to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So the purpose behind this whole letter that John uh, brings that we get to look at this morning is so that people who say that they are believers would not assume simply that things like attending church make them save but rather that we would afresh examine our hearts, even this morning, to see if there is a genuineness of faith. But then at the same time, that genuine believers would be free of all uncertainty, that we would be free of guilt and of shame and be assured of our saving relationship of, with God because of what He has done, so that even when we mis- make mistakes, we know that God's love is poured out on our behalf. So three applications I want to give you this morning from 1 John chapter 3. They are this. Number one, love one another. Number two, to love like Jesus. And number three, to remember that our love is the evidence that his love abides in us. So number one, love one another. Let's look one more time at the first couple verses of this passage. Beginning in verse 11, it says again, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So John begins by saying to us that the message 
from the beginning has been to love one another. The churches that would have originally been receiving this letter from John, they know that at the very beginning, the very first time that they heard the gospel, they heard this message with it, that God's love empowers us to love one another. This is really at gospel 101 for believers for all time, this command that we're being given by John. And it originates from Jesus. See, Jesus did something just incredible with the other 11 disciples just before he was betrayed and killed. In John chapter 13, it says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, that he washed the disciples' feet one by one. And as he did that, as he humbled himself and washed the feet of each one of these men, he said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. But the foundation underneath it, he goes on to say, as I have loved you, so you should love one another. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was asked about love. He was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus goes back to the Old Testament and he quotes Deuteronomy chapter six. And he says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and strength. And then he says, but the second greatest commandment is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. The scripture goes on here though to say, don't hate. Don't hate because hate destroys. Don't be like Cain, who literally was the original murderer, who out of a sinful heart murders his very own, his only brother. You know, there is love and there's hate. And the scripture here is telling us there really isn't any middle ground because hate is satanic in the same sense that love is and comes from God. Cain murdered because he was of the evil one, says the scripture. So we're being reminded here that there really are, at the end of the day, only two kinds of people. Those who hate and are of the evil one and do not have eternal life. And those who love and are of God and have been saved by God's grace and love unto eternal life. It says in very terrifying, very stark matter of fact way, it says no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. The reality that we get from this whole passage, though, is that unless, unless, like all believers, unless we come to Jesus, repent, and turn to him in saving faith. So there is both a warning and a promise that we get here from the scripture. But then John kind of takes it in a different direction when he says, don't be surprised when the world hates you. Don't be surprised when you help the needy. Don't be surprised when you love people, when you show people the truth and the good news of the gospel that you are hated. Jesus says this in John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. You know, John, the writer of this book, he knows that from personal experience. He saw Jesus personally. He saw Jesus crucified. He stood under the cross with Mary, the mother of Jesus. And Jesus looked down at John and said, take care of this woman as if she were your mother. And John accepted that responsibility, but he saw firsthand what hating Jesus looked like. You know, John's brother James was actually the very first disciple that was killed or martyred for his faith in Jesus. John himself was exiled for his own faith in Jesus to the island of Patmos. So he experienced personally, he's not telling you something that he hasn't seen, that those who follow Jesus will many times in various ways come to feel 
hated. But the scripture gives us an encouragement. It says, we know we have passed from death to life. This is interesting because the natural order, as we know from day-to-day life, is that things don't actually progress that way. Things progress from life to death. But the Bible tells us here that something supernatural is happening when we go from death to life. Because Jesus, when he conquered sin, it gave us a way to be made alive by his grace. This supernatural reality means, too, that we can never claim superiority. Those who are believers, those who have tasted and experienced God's love, it is a supernatural gift from God, not one that allows us to claim superiority, rather to be able to share, this is what God has done in my life, and I want you to see and know and experience that same kind of love. So the Bible says, love our brothers, love our sisters, because it's the evidence, not the basis, but it's the evidence of our spiritual life in Jesus Christ. Genuine love for other believers is a reason for assurance of our salvation. In other words, the mark of spiritual life in Christ is that we love one another. You know, as we think about our special day, it's Mother's Day. We think about the way that moms love us and and grandmothers love us and the way we see our our wives love our our children. Um, It's worth thinking about how can we love those moms? How can we appreciate those moms on such a special day as this? You know, there are many ways that are very common to our culture and they're special ways. Things like giving of cards and flowers and candy. Did you know that Mother's Day actually officially started in 1907? when a woman named Anna Jarvis convinced her church to hold a special service just appreciating the moms in that congregation. Anna personally went to each mom in the congregation and gave that that particular mom a white carnation as a gift of appreciation and thankfulness. But Anna wasn't satisfied with just that, and she began petitioning her local government, asking that they would make it an even bigger deal and more official. And she succeeded in 1914. President Woodrow Wilson signed into law Mother's Day as a national holiday. But what's interesting is soon after that took place, Anna Jarvis actually began to be frustrated by Mother's Day. Because what she saw was the, the early beginnings of commercialization and that florists and card companies and candy makers were beginning to profit off of Mother's Day. And what she began to, to see and be concerned about was that rather than people writing on a piece of paper genuinely how they loved or appreciated mom, that they would just buy a, a pre-bought card because they were too lazy to write something themselves. Or she began to see kids who would buy candy, not so much to give it to mom, but so that maybe they could you know, have a bite themselves. She actually became so disgusted with Mother's Day as a national holiday that she spent the rest of her life trying to have the holiday repealed. Now, there's obviously nothing wrong with it, and and it's a great way to love our moms, to give things like cards and candy and flowers. But I think Anna was onto something, which was she was pressing people to remember that what we have when we love someone goes deeper, that love is more powerful, that the words that we choose to use and the ways that we act, that we can go even beyond simple, valuable gifts like gifts, cards to say, I love you and I appreciate you. Something to think about. Number two, first, Scripture says, love one another. Then it says, love like Jesus. This is the most powerful part of this passage. Listen now to chapter three and beginning in verse 16. 
By this, we know love, that he, that is Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Jesus laid down his life for us. You know, Jesus purposefully, consciously went to the cross in order to save us. Jesus laid down his life for us, the family of God, for the church. Jesus died for the church. Jesus Christ did the most loving thing possible when he died on the cross for your sins, for my sins. John 15, 13, powerful passage. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You know, the gospel tells us here in 1 John and throughout that we were still sinners when Jesus died for us, that we on our own were dead spiritually in our sin, that Jesus chose to die to pay the penalty for our sins, for our cosmic treason, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be restored to right and real and permanent eternal relationship with God the Father. The Father gave up his most important possession, his most important family member. He gave up his only son, says the scripture, so that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Guys, maybe today is the day for you. I don't know your situation or your circumstances or when you woke up this morning, whether you're encouraged and filled with joy or today is a difficult day or a day that you grieve or maybe a day that you question your salvation or you struggle or you doubt But let me remind you that Jesus has made a way for all of us to go from death to life. Whether you have literally committed the sin of murder or any other sin, the scripture says, even if you call your brother a name that in some sense you have committed the sin of murder, and yet God's grace is so good and so big that he has offered a way from freedom. He's offered a way to freedom, a way out of guilt, a way out of purposeless living. He has given us a way so that rather than living by sin, that we can live out his purpose to reflect the same love, the love of Jesus in the lives of our family, in the lives of our community, in the lives of our world. The Bible goes on to say that because Jesus has laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. It's a powerful statement. It's a challenging statement. You know, this week, uh, maybe you saw on the news that a man named Minkaye died in Ecuador. Minkaye was believed to be somewhere between 88 and 91 years old. Minkaye was one of six members of what used to be known as the Aka Indian tribe, more recently renamed the Waudani Indian tribe. And he was one of six guys who murdered missionaries, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Roger Udarian, Pete Fleming, and Ed McCauley in 1956 in Ecuador. These men came with the gospel to a tribe who at the time literally had no word for God in their language. But these men came wanting to share the gospel with people who by their own admission said that up until that time, they simply lived by hate. After these men's deaths by murder, several of their wives, including Elizabeth Elliot and Rachel Saint, were eventually actually invited into that tribe to come and live among them. And through those years of being together in that tribal community, they were able to translate the language, share the good news of the gospel. And Minkaye, along with many others, 
ultimately came to know Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior. His life has been a living testimony to Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 that says what man meant for evil, God meant for good. How could this have happened? You know, it's only because of the love of Jesus, only through this could Steve Saint, the son of one of those murdered men, write in his tribute this week to Minkai, could he write, he was one of my dearest friends in the world. Yes, he killed my father, but he also loved me and my family. One of my grandsons is named Minkai. Wow. You know, Jim Elliott, another one of these men who was murdered, kept a, a daily journal most of his adult life leading up to this last moment in his life. That diary was published uh, under the name Shadow of the Almighty. That book of his notes and of his diary and his growing in the Lord of his discipleship under Jesus has been one of the most powerful books in my life that has really formed who I am. And I'm so challenged by his words. Probably the most famous thing that Jim Elliot ever said or wrote is this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Because of God's love, Jim gave up his life. And by God's grace and mercy and plan, Jim Elliot gained a brother in Christ in this man, Minkai. You know, to just stop and imagine what was it like this week when Minkaye passed away, when he walked into heaven, he saw Jesus face to face and he saw Jim Elliot face to face and he saw those other men. What must that conversation have looked like? What joy and rejoicing around the love, the good news of the gospel of Jesus that Jesus has made a way for these men now to be brothers eternally. Guys, that is the power of the love of Jesus that says that we can love one another, that we can love like Jesus. What a powerful, powerful scripture. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. It takes it the next step. It says this, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You know, most of us probably will not be called to literally die for another person. But the scripture certainly says that all of us in one way or another can find creative and powerful ways to love one another with a self-sacrificial love that flows out of Jesus' self-sacrificial love for us. In our families, it means that husbands, you can love your wives like Christ, says Ephesians 5. It means wives, you can love your husbands like Christ does. It means parents that we can love our children the way that Christ loves us. Kids, it even means that you can love your parents the way that Jesus loves you with a love that says you are more important than me and I put you first ahead of my needs. That's why the scripture says, let us not love in word, but in deed. Love is the act of giving away everything that we have, whether it be our possessions, our talents, our time, literally giving away of ourselves to someone else. It says, if you see your brother, don't close your heart to them. 
So if you have food, if you have money, if you have clothes, provide for others out of love. If you have time, if you have a listening ear, if you can give yourself away in relationship, give yourself up out of love. To love your church family, to love your home, your family family, and to love the city. So that those in our city who have not yet come to taste and see and know that the Lord is good, who have not yet experienced the saving love of Jesus so that they could see it and know it and experience it, that they might too have a personal saving relationship with Jesus. You know, we've got to think and pray hard and then act on what does it mean for New City Church to love our city well, particularly in a time where just this week, our own state has reached the highest figures of unemployment since the Great Depression. What will it look like for New City Church to be ready to love our own church family well and our biological family, but to love out into the city that the love of Jesus Christ would go forward? Guys, let's be ready, prepared, and desiring to love people practically, indeed, to love people in generosity. Let's be ready to speak and to show the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one true hope of the world. Listen to 1 Corinthians 13. I think it gives us clear guidance here. It says, if I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have a prophetic power and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Finally, number three, The scripture tells us this. It tells us again that our love is the evidence that his love abides in us. Look at the closing couple verses in this passage. This is verse 19 through 24. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whatever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Just as he has commanded us, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This is how we know that we are saved. If we have genuine love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, not that our love is the substance of our salvation, but that it is the evidence. Every believer at one time or another struggles with these questions and with these doubts of, am I saved? And oftentimes Satan can lead us down this road of, have I done enough to earn? And yet the scripture does not take us there. It begins by saying, when our hearts condemn us. This is the difference, and this is an important difference between conviction and condemnation. See, followers of Jesus examine their hearts. When we recognize sin in our heart, 
we don't have to despair because of the love of Jesus that has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so when we recognize sin in our lives, the scripture calls us to repent, to turn away from that sin, but to turn into the loving face of Jesus, knowing that our salvation is not based on my work. It's not based on what you can do. Our salvation, God's love towards us is based on Jesus' completed work on the cross, his death and resurrection on our behalf. But we know, we know that Satan would love to get into that and twist God's truth and bring false condemnation into the hearts and the minds of believers. Guys, Satan wants us to forget our relationship with God. God, uh, Satan wants us to forget God's promises. Satan wants us to forget God's grace. Satan wants us to disbelieve God's faithfulness and love in our lives. Condemnation in the life of a believer occurs when we make it about ourselves, about what we have done or about what we can do rather than making it about Jesus' sacrificial love for us. And that's why the scripture goes on to say, God is greater than our hearts. See, because the reality here that the scripture is expressing is that God knows our hearts better than anyone else. We can so often hide so many things, but God already knows. God knows us better than we know ourselves. That's why David, in a moment of conviction and confession about deep sin, sins like murder, David says, search me, O God, in Psalm 139, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Because of the gospel, we are freed from the weight of our sin. That is why Hebrews chapter four gives us this incredible promise. It says this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. See, this is telling me that I can enter the throne room of almighty God where Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father because when God looks at me, he no longer sees my sins. Rather, he sees the perfect righteous robes of Jesus Christ because when he looked at Jesus, he saw all of my sin as filthy rags on that cross, and Jesus paid it all. And if you don't know Jesus in that way, that is the invitation that Jesus makes to all people freely that you can be saved, not by what you do, but by God's free grace poured out for you. And your response is simply to believe, to accept it by faith and say, that gift, I want that gift for me. See, God knows everything, but he forgives it anyway. This is powerful, powerful hope for people who don't yet know Jesus, that even today, God by his spirit is calling you. And for people who do know Jesus, but who struggle, we all struggle with guilt, with shame, with our past, with self-condemnation of one reason or another, with failures. God's grace and love is new every morning. The scripture says, whatever we ask, we receive from him. You know, Jesus said in John 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will give it to you. But it raises a question, right? So does God answer all of our prayers? Yes, God answers all of our prayers. Okay, so does God answer all of our prayers the way that we want it? 
No is the answer because God knows better than we even know ourselves. Take the example of Paul. Paul prayed what seems like a very reasonable prayer. Three times in the scripture, he prayed, Lord, take this thorn in my flesh, take this thorn away. And three times God answered and said, no. But he didn't just say no. He said, I've got a better way. God said, my grace is sufficient for you in weakness for my power is made perfect in weakness. And I'm sure there were moments that Paul wrestled with that and struggled with that. But here's where Paul landed on that. He goes on to say himself, I delight therefore in my weakness for my power, for his power. When I am weak, then I am made strong, not by my own power ability, but by his great power. God answers, guys, according to his wisdom and according to his will, better than we could ever do. But he also gives us guidance. That's why the scripture says, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. This is not a promise of a brand new car in every driveway every weekend. This means that we ask according to his will, according to his wisdom. This is a promise that mirrors the Lord's prayer that we're given in Matthew chapter six, that we pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. And after praying that, Jesus tells us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. So it's not a matter of earning brownie points or gold stars. It's a matter of trusting God and obeying him, knowing that God will answer according to his wisdom. Whoever keeps his commandments, the scripture says, abides in God and God abides in him. You know, John ends this passage and and really uses the whole book of 1 John to give believers questions that they ought to face. There's really three questions that emerge, not only here, but throughout the book. The first is a heart question, a heart level question. Do you obey what God commands? The second question is a belief question. Do you believe Jesus is the son of God? And the third is a love question. Do you love God and his children? And then he reminds us again that the source for our love is not on our own, but the source for our love is that he has shown us love first. That's grace in action. And he undergirds that with the power of his Holy Spirit that loves us and makes a way for us to continue to follow and trust and obey the Lord. Listen to Romans 8. This is how Romans 8 ties it all together. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Guys, this week, let's find powerful ways to love our families well, the way that Jesus loves us and the way that Jesus loves our family. Let's find some really powerful, important ways, even today, to love our moms and make sure that they feel loved and appreciated and just thank them for the Christ-like love that they have for us. And let's make sure in the days ahead that as a church that we are actively loving our city in word and in deed to show the good news of the gospel of the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's take a minute and let's pray together.